to Acts chapter 2, please, and we'll just go ahead and get as much as we can get done today uh, going through Acts um, without having to rush or be rushed. We want to just take it in and enjoy it as we read this, the, this history. I love it. Acts is unique and it's, it speaks like a history book. Um, I don't know if you guys liked history in school or not, but uh, yeah, good, good, good. I, I, I thought it was all right as well. So, I mean... Yeah, so it's kind of nice to read a kind of a historical perspective on it. Uh, what's going on with the, with the church in, in Acts, you know, the church, as it, the first slide says, the, the church on a mission. But, uh, but there it is, there's our first slide, so I guess we'll go ahead and get right into it. Lord, uh, I just pray, God, as we um, study your word, Lord, that we would um, just be, you know, open to it, Lord, and, and allow you, Lord, to just move amongst your people, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week until now, just a brief summary or recap. Um, I put the the, the verse 41, we already dealt with it, but just kind of, just to tie things together. It says in verse 41 of Acts 2, so those who received his word, I underlined the word received his word, because you think, you know, the Holy Spirit came, Peter and all the guys and gals talking in this unique language, and then this this fantastic line of communication was opened and people were hearing and understanding um, the gospel message in, in their native language. So there was a, uh, a lack of confusion. You know, rather than having to like think, okay, um, what does he mean by that? There was, it was straightforward, the communication. And that's what I liked about what happened last week. Straightforward communication. This is the gospel. And we saw how simple the message was as well. But then people received it. I like that. They heard it. It's sweet, it's simple, it's understandable, and they receive it. I think today could be the same. I think when sharing with people the word of God, the gospel, um, I don't know if anyone overcomplicates it. I don't think that's the biggest problem. I think what happens is, is a lot of times people get nervous. They get intimidated by the gospel because they think they don't know it enough. But if we realize it's really straightforward and simple, then we could, you know, the hesitation goes away. You know, that, you know, that hesitation, you know what I'm talking about, like, it's just like, but what if I get it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't use doctrinally correct terms? You know, all that stuff. But Peter didn't worry about that. What he had, which was more important than right, puts it, the Holy Spirit gave him right doctrine. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit gave him the right doctrine, gave him the right words to say. And so long as the Holy Spirit's there, we, we, can, we can trust that he's going to kind of give us what we need to get the job done, okay? And so here's the result. People receive the word. And there's a lot of people. Here it says on that particular day, 3,000 souls. So what now, and this is, this is, I'm asking this question because I'm looking at Acts and how it unfolds. So I'm asking questions as the book unfolds. And so what, what, what Luke does next is he describes what the receivers do. 
So now they're receiving. Because I think about that, like even like in, in today's context, you know, because sometimes uh, some of the more traditional churches, they'll have like halls and they'll have people from Ireland and all over the world come. I don't know why Scottish people can't preach the gospel. Why they have to get people from Ireland, I don't understand. But anyways, people from around the world, even I, I hate to say why people from America. I don't like that I'm here. I wish I was Scottish. <sighs> They're going to eventually have to kick me. I'm, I'm serious. I was like, why? Why? Why bring people? We can do it ourselves. It's so easy. so straightforward. So, but you think, okay, so instead of having a, um, a life, a church that just, it's a part of their system, it's a part of their flow. Instead, they have these outreach meetings that are annual. And they bring in the bloke from Ireland or wherever, and they come in and they do a really fantastic job firing people up. That's what happens. They fire people up. They get excited. And then, then what? You know what I'm saying? Then what? I, 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 if someone asked me to come do an evangelical meeting, I'd probably say no unless I knew they had a good discipleship program. Because why am I going to waste my time? Here, they get right into it. They get right into discipleship. They didn't leave these 3,000 souls unloved. Okay? These 3,000 souls are heard and received. They weren't left unloved. But instead, they were integrated. They were brought into the family. They were brought into the team. Okay, this is very important. And that's what we see in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, there's four things here we see that they, 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 they particularly do. I mean, we could do all kinds of things, but there's four things in particular that they did that, that, that Luke is drawing our attention to. One is, well, first of all, they were devoted. I like that. They were devoted. They were committed. It's something that they purposed to do. And we're going to look at the word devoted in just a second. So let's just get like a, a, a broad showering of these words. It's devoted. Uh, devoted to apostles' teaching. So think, what does that mean, apostles' teaching, or the apostles, what they were teaching and they fellowshiped, so apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So I highlighted them because I saw, well, we saw the devotion aspect, but then you see the four specific things or particular things that they were doing. That's the teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. So just put that in your pocket for a moment, because I'm going to go and look at these words in a moment, but I want to get the big picture first. So let's read, let's finish out these next few verses. And awe came upon every soul. So as they, as they were doing these things, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. Okay, try to, try to put your, your, yourself in the shoes of these people. Maybe not an apostle, maybe just a person who just received anew. Just just put yourself in that group, whatever you want to put yourself. And just imagine seeing this happening. The awe, this is wonderful. God's doing something here. The the signs, the wonders, and and then people being together. Being together. Now, being together isn't always easy, guys. We know that. And even Paul dealt with a lot of issues in church when they came together and were doing silly things. But it's important to see well, I think it's good to see how wonderful, how beautiful, how powerful being together can be. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing these, the proceeds to all as, as any had need. Um, so this is what they decided to do. Let's just spend our lives together. Let's just sell everything and live in, in a kind of a a communal type of life. Let's just, let's just be together 24-7. This is, they were that 
impact. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that. If you want to, then I don't know, maybe we'll pray about it. But the thing is, what I like, though, is this. They so loved each other that this wasn't a problem for them. They were so caught up into what was happening that this is what they saw they wanted to do. I'm not saying this is necessary for every church and every group of community of Christians, but look how they were moved. This is such a powerful, wonderful, loving thing that they wanted to spend 24-7 with each other. Day by day, attending the temple together. They did funny things. I like it because day by day, they did a couple things. Day by day, they attend the temple. So they kind of still did that kind of thing that they used to do at the temple. And we're going to see more of that in a moment and how actually that did actually benefit the, the going out of the gospel. They had opportunities at the temple. And also they had this breaking of bread again in, in the homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is what most commentators would describe as the birth you know, of the church. This is God's or Christ's beloved bride right here being born, if you will. You know, the bride, the bride of Christ is a baby. Here we are seeing her just kind of growing up, just, just being there, you know. And it's so healthy, you know, at this point, so healthy. You know, things that happened in history. We can look at our history books and see how, how you know, the, the, that poor bride had, you know, she suffers many illnesses through the Middle Ages and whatnot, and even today. But here she is, new, you know, and healthy. And the Lord adding day by day the numbers are being saved. Next, next slide, please. So devotion, to be devoted. Um, just looking at the words I highlighted, because those are, the, more, those, those are the, the ones I want to draw out. I did put the whole definition up, but just look at the words that just kind of pop out. To be earnest towards, um, like a, towards a thing, to be earnest towards, to preserve, be con- constantly diligent, um, to attend assiduously, to adhere closely. So, and in all the words that could be translated with this particular word, which is, you know, it's kind of a tough one to say, proskerterio, are um, words like attend, continually, continue, to wait on. So, long-suffering, just devoting, you know, through thick and thin, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do this. And what do they do? What do they stick to, thick or thin? What do they devote themselves to? I put these four things because that's what Luke did, and I'm just looking at them. The first thing he put is the apostle's teaching or the apostle's teaching, however you want to say it. An apostle is a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. Okay? Um, and then you have teaching, um, didache, teaching, instruction. Um, doctrine. I used the word doctrine earlier. And I think a doctrine is a good word because it's just what is being taught. What is it that Jesus taught the apostles? And what does the apostles teach the early church? And what is that teaching that's being passed on throughout the centuries to today? That's when, I, when we use the word doctrine, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about being dogmatic per se. We're talking about let's be as pure as possible. We want to know as purely as possible what Jesus taught, right? I mean, do you guys agree with me on that? Do you want to know what Jesus taught or do you want to know what, what his the theologians taught in the Middle Ages? I mean, you might be interested in what theologians had to say, but I want to know what Jesus taught. And so the doctrine is, is interested 
in preserving that information as closely as possible. So if Jesus taught, what, he, what is it that he actually taught? What was the intention? What was the message he gave to the apostles? That's why they looked. That's why they spent time listening to the apostles' instruction. Because Now, let's get this right again. Peter, Paul, James, and John, and all these guys. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? And Luke was a big part of that, because he was documenting this, these things. Because they wanted to be very careful about preserving what it is that Jesus taught. And this is what we refer to as the apostles. You might actually think, it's not really the apostles' teaching, but this is Jesus' teaching. But the apostles were chosen by Jesus. That's why they're called the apostles, because they were sent out. Like an ambassador, meant to represent. So if the apostles were poor in the representation, then we have a problem. But, but we're assuming what we have here is preserved through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and ultimately, today, what we hope and what we trust through, again, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, is that what we have on our laps has been protected and has been preserved. And what we have here is as close to its original or primary source as possible. That's why we bother with reading the Bible. Because it's important. And that's, what, what, that's what's one of the first thing they devote themselves to. What did Jesus tell you guys, apostles? What, what is it that we need to know? That's the apostles' teaching. Again, I put this in, in my own words are italicized just to distinguish the definition from my own opinions. And so my opinion is this. This is not the religious opinions, nor are they just existential, existential experiences of the apostles. Like, oh, this is what I felt. These doctrines are the messages of God, given by Christ to his chosen missionaries, his sent out ones, for the purpose of immersing the people of Jerusalem and the rest of the world. This, again, culturally speaking, is what we refer to as Bible today, the Bible teachings of today. So the Bible. And so our teaching, and I believe our teaching should be as close to what the Bible says as possible. Now, of course, when you teach the Bible, a lot of times you're going to have to do a lot of critical thinking and, and maybe it might illustrate and have some opinions about it. But I think good, the best Bible teaching you can get is Bible teaching that sticks as close to the text as possible. So that's it. We want to get as close to the text as possible, looking at the words, looking at the words relate to one another, looking at how, well, you've already heard my Bible study lesson, so I don't need to go back to that. But it's important because we want to preserve it. The next thing we see is fellowship. Fellowship. Koinonia. Uh, that's a word that we heard a lot back in the days. Koinonia. It was a, in fact, there was a Bible study called Koinonia back in the days, uh, which means just fellowship. Just, but, okay, well, here's look at the, let's look at the definition. Partnership. Um, literally, participation. Social intercourse. Um, in economic sense, benefaction. Uh, and it's used to um, communicate. Communication, communion, um, contradistribution, so pulling it together as, a, as opposed to pushing it out. Fellowship. So not a pushing at us necessarily. So you have like those who are sent out, but you also have those who are coming together. And that's what the fellowship is, the coming together. But, but the idea of fellowship really is having a common vision for the mission. Okay? It's not just hanging out. It's not just Palling about. That's palling about, palling about. But the idea of fellowship, and the reason why I think Luke put this here is because there was a special intent behind this partnership, this coming together, this intercourse, this, this communion, this, this, you know what I'm saying? This fellowship is more than just having a, a date with someone else. It's about having a, a common vision for the mission. 
working together for a common goal. So the king, well, of course, he asks, well, what is the mission? What's the vision? Well, we have to rewind to the next last thing. What, what did Jesus tell us to do? He told the disciples exactly what to do. Go out to Jerusalem and then, you know, proceeding out to the world, getting the message out, baptizing, immersing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know what the mission is. It's not particular to Cornerstone or any, you know, church domination. The mission is universal. Jesus made it very, very clear. Here is the mission. Now, you need to remind yourself of the mission as you meet together by talking about what Jesus talked about, the apostles' doctrine or teaching, and then you have to fellowship. So fellowship, I, I see this as an opportunity to encourage, to kind of bump into one another. <laughs> you know, remember what we're called to do, guys. Remember what we're called to do. Do you remember? Yeah. Hey, listen, the other day I was talking to someone, and you know what? Can you pray for me? Because, hey, we're working together on this, and I need your prayer. You know what I'm saying? Working together. I'll, I'll deal with breaking the bread in the next slide. Prayers. You know, it means to pray. They prayed. You know, uh, it could be written prayers, it could be memorized prayers, it could be prayers from the heart, it could be, you know, prayers to oneself, it could be prayers, you know, um, commonly in this time when they met in the temples, it was, it was you know, um, common prayers that were spoken out, you know, um, corporately. That, that was probably a lot of what was happening in the context. But it's prayers of all kinds. Prayers, earnest prayers. And also the idea of prayer is, is, is worship. Even with breaking of bread, we're going to see a lot of worship. And a lot of what we do when we sing songs is we're trying to get our hearts and our minds, our attitudes into a worshipful state. You know, an awe, an openness, a looking towards God so that we can be, you know, just encumbered by his spirit, you know, to be filled by him. That's the reason why we do it. So they pray to get their hearts right. They pray to call upon the Lord. They pray to check their attitudes. And then the breaking of the bread. We'll do that just now. Next slide, please. Breaking of the bread. Culturally speaking, um, uh, this was a big part of the Jewish um, culture, which, of course, we know the disciples, you know, were, they, were, they came from that culture. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I understand Hebrew, so I'm not going to read the top line. But in the English translation, that is, and this is a very common prayer, equivalent to like what we'd say grace day. You know, we go grace. Let's have grace before dinner. In America, everyone does grace, even in restaurants. But Scotland, we're a little bit more reserved, so we don't do as much in restaurants. We do it at home. So, okay, you know, we bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you know, thank you for this food we're about to eat. Please bless the hands that prepared it, and thank you for providing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's something we would say. It's a blessing for the meal. That's very similar to what this blessing would be, this breaking of the bread. And they would say this blessing on the top. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who had brought forth bread from the earth. So very similar. Um, I got this, um, I searched high and low for a really good description of what breaking the bread could be culturally speaking. I found this here, old, old book, the turn of the last century, by A.B. McDonald, in a book called Christian Worship in the Primitive Church. I love that title. I kind of want to go back and read it, except for, actually, it looks like it's pretty easy to read from this excerpt I found here. It says here, the taking of food was accompanied, or rather preceded, by a certain formal and conspicuous action, namely the pronouncing of a blessing over the bread that was to be eaten, followed by the breaking of the loaf in two, and we can see, because this is even what Jesus did with his disciples beforehand. Remember, he did it all the time. He did it with the feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000. He did it with the Passover. This is a very common tradition. So the, the, the bread was broken into, um, preparatory to its distribution around the table. This was an old Jewish custom corresponding to our grace before meals, but conveying far deeper su suggestion of religious fellowship. Okay, we know what fellowship is. We just looked at that. 
and carried through with greater um, solemnity and ceremony and reserved for certain meals of a pronouncedly religious character. So just looking at that, I, I, when I think, and I, and I know a, a lot of commentators like to connect, and I like this connection, the breaking of the bread with worship in general. And I like that. That's why I wanted to kind of go that direction with this. And I wanted to, to just look at it more, because a lot of commentators will also say, well, it's just this communion. But I think there's something more, because we can turn just communion into a, into a religious, dogmatic thing that we just do mechanically. But I wanted to see something deeper, because we know Jesus did breaking the bread before even the communion, right? He did it. And it's a big part of their culture. But what was the cultural significance? What was the, why did they do this even before the first communion? Because there's something about it that was special. And I think what's special about it is those words I put in the very bottom. It, it portrays ideas or elements of worship, thanksgiving, praise, blessings, sharing, ceremony. I got that from his Ceremony, I like that, ceremony. And then togetherness. So we see what, what's going on here with the, with the church. The baby church, the baby church, brand newborn, just, just coming, just growing up. Reading, what did Jesus want us to do? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus tell you guys? Okay, hanging out as much as possible. Let's, let's, help, let's help each other get this job done. Right, the fellowship, the communion, working together in partnership. The breaking of the bread. Let's praise each other. Let's praise God. Let's 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 have this attitude of thanksgiving and and worship and ceremony and togetherness. Togetherness, a big word that keeps coming in through all what's going on here. And then the prayers. They prayed. They prayed quietly. They prayed in their hearts. They prayed out loud. They prayed corporately. They, 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 They read prayers. They originated prayers. Prayer was a big part of what they did. 